All right, welcome, inappropriate Earl fans. I'd like to do these podcasts periodically, once every three months. I'm the complete opposite of Joe Rogan in every capacity, fame and body and everything else. But today, I have a guest who wrote a book on what I'm best at, Trash Talk. Rafi Cohan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Earl. Good to be here. What got you interested in this subject of trash talk, chirping, shit talking? Not, not a, it's a little, um, not a lot of people are into the aggressive form of humor that it is. Yeah. Or the the aggressive form of humor it can be the because it can manifest as humor and in other you know other capacities for sure. Um, you know, I mean, part of the reason I wanted to write this book is because, frankly, nobody has ever written a book about trash talk before. This is the first book about trash talk, and part of the case that I make is that. There's a lot more going on beneath the surface than typically we give it credit for, especially within the U.S., especially, you know, as we think about trash talk sort of as the the modern American conception of it, you know, over the last 30 to 40 years is of this kind of like frivolous, unserious sideshow that may take place during the course of competition. But we kind of just dismiss it as either frivolous or, you know, at best, and at worst, that's something that's kind of like a, a moral failing of some kind, like you're demonstrating, you know, a kind of capacity for, you know, you know, assholery that like, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't countenance as a society. Um, so, that, I mean, that's like, <clears throat> the commercial reason in some ways. But the truth is, is that, you know, I'm a kid of the 90s. I grew up, watching basketball, you know, I'm a, you know, Knicks fan of the nineties, watching guys jaw at each other. Um, you know, a devil's fan of the nineties, you know, seeing the chirping on the ice and, you know, there's always, there has always been something kind of fascinating to me about that. I think there's a reason that all of us as humans are kind of drawn to trash talk. I mean, it does draw us in. It is the stuff of, you know, reality television and professional wrestling promos. You know, there's something kind of like, edgy and aggressive about it and the guys that i watched talking shit growing up you know gary payton uh reggie miller those kinds of guys there's something almost like charming about it there's something charismatic about it that does bring you in and and as a you know an amateur athlete myself you know i never I probably never even competed at the level of amateur sport that I know you did, you know, skating around, uh, you know, with <laughs> with uh, King, Kings hockey players. Um, but you witness it. You see people talking shit all the time. You see that there's like, you know, a variety of different functionalities for it. You know, it can be used to different, you know, for different reasons, for different ends. And I was just curious to learn more about it. I've always kind of been drawn to those things that most people kind of just don't pay attention to. So this was this was a subject like that for me. Well, it is a fascinating, uh, I guess, subsection of, of comedy. I, I look at it as comedy, uh, but you're right. Some people probably don't. Um, but then you have like these sub sectors of roasting or talking shit where you have, you know, like the Comedy Central roast that you probably grew up on 
you know, I grew up on the Dean Martin roast. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, another sub uh, section roast battle, which is, you know, I think when we talked, it, it's, it's more, uh, I guess, uh, competitive, you know, like the, the Dean Martin mm -hmm. roast, you know, especially those because they were all friends. You know, like Dean Martin was friends with Nipsey Russell and Foster Brooks and Don Rickles. And where I find the Comedy Central roasts were almost a uh, prelude to roast battle because you just have one celebrity. They don't know most of the people roasting them, you know, and you saw that really play out in the Chevy Chase roast where mm -hmm. he was like, mm -hmm. uh, right. are you right. like, I'm a legend. Yeah. Like, who are you? Uh, so it, it, there are so many facets to it that, uh, and the sports aspect of it, you know, I'm a hockey guy. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think. Well, no, but I mean, the, I, the, Chevy, the Chevy Chase roast is interesting, right? Because it's like, it goes back, you know, um, you know, to the idea of those old, the old Friars roast, the Dean Barton roast. And there's a question of like, you know, what gives you the permission right, to insult this person, right? How do you get, like, why do you get, can you get away with it? Do you get away with it? And when you remove some of those, like, protective mechanisms, you know, some of those, like, those layers that might give you a kind of moral clearance to say a really insulting and hurtful thing, it's like, well, is the fact that we're going to put this on for Comedy Central and a bunch of, you know, 12-year-olds and suburban you know illinois are going to watch it is that enough of an excuse that like someone's feelings aren't going to get hurt that they're going to feel like they've opted in enough that they like know what they're getting into because i do think that there is you know there there are some interesting questions around ideas of like who like who gets to talk what gives you permission to talk shit and do you get away with it right and so i because I, I don't think you always do i mean mike when i spoke to mike lawrence um talking to him about um about roast battle and roast jokes in general, you know, and something that he said that stuck with me, right, is that, you know, like the insult, like, can come second, right? Like, like funny has to come first. You know, funny is your excuse. Because if it's not funny, you're not going to get away with it. You don't have, you don't have permission for the insult otherwise, right? So I think that's, you know, whether it's in roasting or whether it's in, you know, in sport or politics or wherever, is, you know, it's like, do like, do you have permission for doing this or can you get away with it? I mean, I would disagree with Mike from the standpoint of, I, I would agree with him if you're roasting someone, because at the end, you know, a tribute's coming. Right. Like right. If they ever roast Joe Rogan and you know, I probably wouldn't be asked to be on it, but if I was, you know, I'm going to shit on his affliction shirts and uh, fear factor and, uh, what was that show he was on with Andy Dick? Uh, News radio. News radio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then I'm gonna. I love that show. I mean, you know, it's probably not one of the things he's proudest of. But uh, at the end of all this, I'm gonna be like, hey, I wish I had your body. I wish I had your success. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, with roast battle, I, I don't think it has to be funny. You know, it, it's hurt mm -hmm. them before they hurt you. Um, so like with Mike's battle against Ralphie May, I mean, yeah. I don't know how funny those jokes were. He was just, you, you know, he, he got the Mike Tyson knockout shot 
And then, I mean, I've seen thousands of roasts, uh, been involved in them. I've never been more uncomfortable than I was in that battle. Like I couldn't look at Ralphie because Mike was killing him. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I would say it was funny. It was just, it was, it was hurtful. Uh, so, but you know, my, Ralphie knew what he was getting himself into. Uh, right. So it's not Mike's fault, but. <laughs> Although I mean, people were laughing at the jokes, right? I mean, they're, I laughed at the jokes. Oh, Mike's what Mike's probably the best uh, roast battler and, and roast writer on earth. Uh, yeah. Him and Sarah Tiana. But yeah. I think they were laughing at Ralphie, not which I didn't like, to be honest with you, because, um, you know, Ralphie had battled once before and he didn't do very well. <laughs> I love Ralphie, but he was. Um, doing like street jokes like yeah and so they knew he was not going to prepare for mike lawrence he was just going to wing it and i can't think of a worse person in the world to wing it against than mike lawrence because yeah you know he's admitted he's autistic and and he's also autistic about roast battle like you know with ralphie it wasn't just going to be a standard fat joke. It was going to be a fat joke that weaved into a divorce joke. Yeah. Back into a fat joke. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I talked to Mike about that. Um, you know, what, you know, part of the reason, right. So like, you know, the book, the idea is, you know, I wanted to, obviously I get into it. Trash talk. The only book about destroying your rivals that isn't total garbage. <laughs> You know, but I want, you know, obviously it's a book that's like steeped in sports, but part of the reason that like I knew from the outset that I wanted to get into comedy, you know, in general, but insult comedy and roast and roast battle in particular, you know, was for a couple of reasons. And I, and I sort of went additional directions beyond that. But, you know, talking to someone like Mike is exactly for the reason you said is knowing that he was like, or is, you know, a top roast joke writer on the planet. Right. And so it's like trying to understand how do you write the thing that's undeniable? How do you say the thing that is so undismissible that it's gonna like, it's gonna cut someone to their core, it's gonna hit them um, from a craft perspective, really? Because I think that's, you know, you, that's transferable in some ways. And the, and he talked about it as um, um, like, he, he referred to himself and maybe you, you know, maybe he said this, you know, other times, I'm sure he has, but he referred to himself as an emotional roaster and the idea was you kind of like you page through the person's emotions to get, you know, to get at the you, know, the you say the thing that like is going to be like most hurtful <laughs> um, that that is, you know, that it's going to hit you where you don't want to be hit. But it's exactly the way you described it. Right. It's like this layering that it's like it's a fat joke, but it's not a fat joke. It's actually a divorce joke. It's a divorce joke that also tucks in, you know, these other aspects because you need to acknowledge, right. The size of this person, but you're also, you know, right. Like you, you, like you can't not address it, even though it's superficial and it's like the obvious, you know, vector of attack, but it's like, but you can prepare and maybe Ralphie didn't like, maybe he wasn't prepared to hear the fat jokes either, but like, it's easier to prepare to hear certain kinds of things, right? So it's more like, well, what is the thing you're not prepared to hear, right? Like, like when you when you uh, when you uh, you know you know battled, right? Like, I know you would 
slip into this Rick Rude type character, right? <laughs> like, you know, the oiled up and the leather pants and the biker gloves. And to a certain extent, you knew how you're going to be attacked. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, and I think, get it, you know, you know, Ralphie, I think, could have, uh, you know, he had to have known there's going to be fat jokes. Like, you know, you're 700 pounds. He should, he should have. He should have known. But, you know, so like when I battled, I think I was the oldest battler of the TV show people. Uh, you know, maybe I think me and Jimmy Carr might be the same age uh you know mid 50s so i knew there were going to be age jokes earl so old blah 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 and uh yeah girl i was dating at the time was significantly younger than me so <laughs> i knew there's going to be jokes about that and uh so i was prepared um and you know in the one battle i did against my friend sarah tiana i didn't go mean on her because we're friends I'm like, well, I don't want to hurt her right. feelings, you know. Let's just have fun. And she went mean on me. So uh, that's what I meant by roast battle specifically, not roasting, is is really hurt them before they hurt you. Um, right. So, you know, Ralphie just, you know, if I was his coach, I would have been like, dude, there's going to be fat jokes. You, you better, you should have 100 rebuttals. Well, right. You know. And, <laughs> exactly. Or if you're, uh, you know, if I was coaching myself, if I can go out of my body, I'd be like, okay, dude, you're the oldest guy in the competition. There's going to be age jokes. And you're related to JFK. There's going to be a, a Kennedy headshot joke in there somewhere. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, roast. But if you're so insecure... If you're too insecure, right, with your with yourself that you can't even admit those things to yourself, right, then you're walking, you're a walking target, right? You like you have to be able you know, to come up with those rebuttals, right? To like you have to first admit the things where you're vulnerable. You have to admit those areas. You have to come to terms with them in some in some form or fashion. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, that's what I was best at. Like, you know, Mike and Sarah are, the, are probably the two best roast writers. The roast battle writers, you know, because they weave these almost like Pink Floyd-esque jokes. And, you know, I'm more like Kiss where I just, I'm all the, the show. And, like, I try and be so distracting to the other person on stage, they lose their place. Hey, um, man, that's 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 some good gamesmanship, too. Oh, I was the best strategist in the history of the show. Like, you, you know, because... That's what I enjoyed the most about it. was It wasn't writing mean jokes about my friends, uh, but it was like, okay, they're going to say this about me. So if I say this about them, and you know, like most people, or a fair amount of people, don't think I beat Jimmy Carr, but you know, I won the battle by addressing. He reads his jokes. I don't. Uh, so, you know, Dude, and by the way, what a great mind fuck. Seriously. Like, oh, yeah. so I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, can I talk about science for a second? <laughs> so, so Your interview, baby. You talk about what you No, have. I know. <laughs> no, but like, so, you know, understanding the ways in which like the, the, you know, the, the pathways, you know, the pathways that trash talk can work through, you know, to actually degrade someone's performance or take away from it in one form or another 
are this exactly the sort of thing that will make you a better and more effective trash talker, like regardless of the form, right? And one of those pathways is attention, right? We have we have various attentional states as uh, you know as people. You can have you know you can have like a wider band of focus, or you can have a more narrow band of focus, right? And when you have a more narrow band of focus, like you're, you're paying attention to those things that are within that more narrow band, right? And you're take when you have a wider band, you're taking in lots of things, some of which will be related to the task at hand, whatever you're doing, and some of which will not. And one of them is not better than the other, right? You can think about it like like a you know, let's say a quarterback, you know, on an on the on an NFL team. That per that's a player who wants a wider band of focus, right? Because you want to be able to like pick up on the roots, you want to see what the defenders are doing, you want to feel someone creeping up on your blind side. Whereas if you have a more narrow band, you might miss out on some of that information, right? And you might you might you might be you might not see the guy, you know, the safety coming across the middle who's going to intercept the ball, et cetera, et cetera. Distract, you know, trying to distract someone through trash talk is, a, you know, to change, you know, to either narrow their focus when they shouldn't or to, you know, keep them in a very broad, you know, uh, you know, attentional state can be a great way to, to fuck someone up, you know, quite literally. And in fact, even and what you're suggesting even is like making someone pay attention to the things that they're doing, like the literal physical actions that they're doing can really screw with someone. So one of the best ways to talk shit to someone, let's say, you know, there's a famous example on the tennis court is you walk up to a guy and you go, hey, you're you're serving really well today. What are you doing differently? And then suddenly, you know, that person's going to say, yeah, I am serving well today. What am I doing differently? And they're going to start thinking about the mechanics of their motion and they're going to be thinking about what they're doing. And, and at that point, you're investing cognitive effort into mechanical actions that are supposed to be automatized because they're so well-practiced at that point. And when you're investing cognitive effort in things that are supposed to be automatized, you're one, you're not paying attention to the things that you should be, but that's also what, what at that point, something called reinvestment happens. And that's like when you think about guys getting the yips, what we think about in choking as sports, like you can't throw the ball from second base to first anymore. It's because you're thinking about what you're doing. So if you get Jimmy Carr, to think about the fact that he's reading jokes, like he might forget how to read in that moment. Like you can literally just like you, you lose, you go from it, from an expert to a novice basically is what happens in those moments. So, and the point is, is like, so you knew that intuitively on some level, right? That like you wanted to, you wanted to fuck with his game. You wanted to make him think about something, but like, like you, if you like, you could have gone on with this not this scientific knowledge of shit talk and been like, oh, that's how I'm gonna fuck with you. Like this, like it, it's like there's a game plan for it. Well, I mean, I knew in that particular battle, uh, like I knew Comedy Central wanted him to kill me. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly knew Jeff Ross wanted him to win. So it was intimidating for me to be on a show where I knew that the head judge and executive producer of the show is rooting for the other guy. Um, so I knew I had to get the other two guys' votes, Kimmel and um, Seth Rogen, because uh, then Jeff would be powerless. You know, it'd be two to one. So I'm like, I got to do something. And uh, Jimmy was following me around the whole day. Like, he knew I was up to something. <laughs> and so it just... <laughs> uh, and, it, and I don't think people... 
because I've had some, I had got some crazy DMs from people. Uh, I, you didn't beat Jimmy Carr. I hope you die of bone cancer. One guy wrote, I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh, I mean, and he was serious too. Like I could tell when someone's getting and, um, and it was just, I'm not saying Jimmy Carr can't read four jokes, you know, or, or he can't memorize four jokes, but it is different when you're reading. Uh, yeah. You know, if I was doing a, a battle with you and you were going off the top of your head and I'm like, and uh, Rafi says he looks like Bin Laden. Like, it's easier for me to just read the joke. So, because it's, yeah. it's nerve-wracking when you're doing a roast battle. Like, yeah. Especially on television. Well, that, and that's actually, yeah. Well, how did you, I mean, I mean, so, perform. I mean, like, these ideas of, like, performance psychology, right? Like, obviously, I look at them largely through the realm of sports, but they do apply far beyond like a musician going on stage, a comedian going, you know, going up for roast battle, you know, someone, you know, someone is going literally going to take like a final exam, like a, a, a like a student going to take a final exam. Like these are all performance situations in one form or another. And trash talk sort of like what it does at its core is it raises the psychological stakes of the competition, right? It puts more on the line. Like you have more pressure on your performance, like quite literally, like they're like your body's anxiety state goes up, you know, and, 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 and trash talk is one of the ways that you can, you can do that um, to someone else. But it's like, if you don't, if you like, depending on how you appraise the stress of that moment, how you conceptualize the pressure of that moment, you're more or less likely to to give in like a great performance, you know, whether or not you see it, for example, as a situation you can handle, right? It's literally saying like, I have the resources to meet this demand versus like, oh, Kevin Garnett's talking shit to me. Like, I am scared. <laughs> like, I do not have the resources to meet this demand. Like when that happens, you literally go into a threat state. Like when you're overwhelmed by stress, you enter fight, flight, or freeze potentially. You have a threat response and your body like, you know, cinches up, like your pulmonary vasculature constricts. Your blood goes back to your, like the center of your body as if you're about to be attacked by a wild animal. So you're talking about that and you're talking about feeling the additional pressure, right? <laughs> of knowing, uh, you know, or believing at least that, you know, that, that others wanted you to lose. How do you, how, how do you, you know, conceptualize that stress and pressure in that moment? Cause that like, that's a direct correlation to all of this stuff, you know, to like how we can perform in the face of pressure. Well, I mean, you know, Ruff's battle was really an illegally run television show, to be honest with you. Like if you've ever seen the movie quiz show, uh, which was basically yeah. the game show scandal. There's an actual law called the game show clause, where uh, there's supposed you know when it's an all cash prize show, there's supposed to be no conflicts of interest. Uh, I mean that's just a law. So when you look at like my first battle on television was actually against Jesse Joyce, who is a brilliant writer. Yeah. Uh, he's Mike Lawrence esque. Like that's how good he is. Uh, but he was, he was an employee of Comedy Central. He, sh he should have never been on the show. Um, you know, just it's that's a huge conflict of interest. Uh, and I knew to answer your question, what got me so into this underdog role was I had a friend of mine who worked mm -hmm. at Comedy Central. He's like, 
you know why you're going up against Jesse, right? I'm like, no, I don't really know him. Like, it doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, my ex-girlfriend's on the show. I would think that would be the battle that, and the storyline is like total pro wrestling. They had a great battle when they were dating. Let's see what it's like when they're not dating. Um, I mean, that's how I would have done it. Um, yeah. But uh, they were like, well, Jesse's kind of boring presentationally. You know, he's just going to go up there with jokes and, and say them. And he did. If you watch that battle, I think you can find them all on Comedy Central. Uh, I can't believe I'm directing people to that site. But uh, he literally walked up with like 10 pages of jokes. Like I had five jokes in my head. That's it. Um, but my friend who worked at the network's like, well, they just know you're going to come out half naked, all oiled up. And, you know, it is a uh optical uh, show you know it's not just about people reading jokes so they know he'll kill you and uh you know he can go to montreal I'm like oh okay well let's see how that works out uh and then i don't know if the cameras pick this up or not but uh you know when my first joke did very well and his didn't every single comedy central executive just went like that and then the second one where I did the Greg Giraldo joke, which I knew you go back to hurting feelings and that was his best friend. And in my defense, I did ask him before the battle, is there anything you don't want me to joke about? And he's like, no, do, do whatever. I'm like, you got it. And after that joke, they literally all moved to the edge of their seats with their jaws open. Like, oh, fuck, we got to take this guy to Montreal. So I was I was angry to be honest with you. Like I was fueled by I helped start this show. How, why am I getting uh, you know the the shit end of the stick? So I was motivated to yeah. Uh, and then when I got well, you could yeah. No, as you say, you conceptualized yourself as being at the target of some I mean nonverbal shit talk in one form or another. Basically the. You know, them, you, at you know, conceptualizing yourself and being in this underdog role is actually, like, quite psychologically protective against the pressure of a moment, right? One of the ways to actually, you know, one of the ways to make someone feel threatened or stressed, you know, in a situation is to make them think about what they have to lose, right? Well, okay, so it's like, and that could be like, your roster spot on the team. It could be like your reputation. Like I'm going to humiliate you in front of other people. It could be, uh, you know, the fact that you're like the champions and now, you know, you're the hunted and not the hunter anymore. Right. So this idea of being like, nobody believes in me. And I know I'm like making a little bit of a, of a jump from like the lot, you know, from, you know, from your situation to kind of like a, a typical locker room situation, but there's a reason why you hear people say that. So it's, it's so it's interesting to hear you say that too, because I think, whether it's intentional or not, it does give you a, a ton of motivation. And also when you feel like, well, nobody believes in me, I've got nothing to lose. Like it's incredibly psychologically protective because then you're not going to see yourself. You're not, you're not going to, you, you will be aggressive. And I don't, I mean, you in the generalized sense, right. That it's like, whereas if on the flip side, and this is why you hear about terms like loss aversion in business, right? Like, so you think about loss aversion, what that actually describes is this psychological phenomenon where the prospect of, of losses are twice as painful, you know, 
psychologically as the prospect of equal size gains, right? right? So like we're more scared of losing than we are sort of like excited by winning. So if you think, if, if, if people can think about themselves as having nothing to lose, then you only have something to gain. And it's actually like a really great, it's great for a performer. Oh, I mean, I was, it motivated me. I've never been more motivated in my life to kill every person I was in front of. And and even <laughs> when uh, my friend uh, who works at Comedy Central to this day, so when I beat Jesse and I think about maybe a week and a half later, we got our brackets for Montreal. Uh, he's like, oh, you're being punished. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, look at your bracket. And I was the only one who had a tough battle in every round. Like everyone else got um, basically a warm up battle, you know, someone they knew they were going to beat. And I'm like, okay, the shit's not stopping. Because the first guy in Montreal was Tom Ballard, who is this brilliant Australian comic, like a great. Uh, we did an untelevised season of the show, and he was killing everyone. Like, oh, that's my first battle. And then if I beat him by some miracle, I get Jimmy Carr. And then I get Sarah Tiana. And then Kay Trevor Wilson, who is a legend in Canada. Uh, this is awesome. Um, like, I mean, one other person had in their bracket, they had three people who never battled before. Like, oh, their manager's on the show as a producer. Oh, okay, cool. Like, uh, so I was, um, before every battle, I would watch Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Um, I was like, I'm, I'm the Buster Douglas of this show. So. Hey man, um, yeah, that's the underdog. <laughs> I mean, that's why I always don't talk uh, very favorably about my time on the show. Cause it wasn't fun to go through all this. Like it was, uh, you know, I had a comedy central executive say, Hey, if you lose, uh, you're on a plane tomorrow morning. Oh, cool. Uh, that, that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, so uh, going back to the psychology of what you're talking about. Yeah. I was, um, I'm trying to think of a, a hot, well, like the football, the quarterback of the 49ers, uh, Purdy. Brock, yeah, Brock Purdy. Last guy picked in the draft. I'm sure he was like, fuck you. There you guys. go. There that's you go. Exactly. Uh, so, so, so you, so you, you went through this as a comedian. I know this was this was years later, but I know you. One of the other things that you and I talked about was how much shit you talked as an amateur hockey player. Oh yes, <laughs> and the level the level of detail and research that went into, which obviously informed your abilities as a as a battler. You know, to like looking at MySpace in the early days or Friendster or whatever the fuck. Right. But did so my, my, but my, you know, so do you not ever worry, you know, knowing that it's like the way that trash talk or even the conceptualization of trash talk can fuel someone in the same way that you eventually were, but you never hesitated to give someone else that level of fuel. You talk shit no matter what. Well, I mean, one, I forget if I told you this story. One time it worked against me where, uh, you know, I was, I was one of the bigger, I'm a big guy for hockey. Uh, you yeah, six one, two hundred pounds. I mean, not for NHL hockey, but for amateur hockey, I'm a big guy. Um, and I was going out at this whole game with this guy who was probably about maybe five six, maybe one sixty tops. I thought, oh, I can say anything to this guy. There's going to be no blowback. 
physically, I can take them. <laughs> my mom always said, watch out for the little guys. <laughs> there you go. There's a scrum in the corner, and I'm I'm calling him Napoleon because I knew that would get him angry. And, you know, all kinds of things I probably can't repeat. And uh, he does, like, this Bruce Lee death touch on my left shoulder that spun me around uh, and he he put me in a chokehold and he choked me out and uh unbeknownst to me he was a uh, orange county sheriff so <laughs> apparently or in the 714 area code they hire little sheriffs uh <laughs> but you know so that was one instance where i probably had pissed this guy off so much with napoleon and uh, you know, is your girlfriend Bridget the Midget, the porn star, and, and just just hammering him with short jokes. And he was probably like, fuck this guy. I'm going to choke him <laughs> out. Uh, so it doesn't always work out, um, you know, because if you're good at, uh, you know, like Sean Avery is uh, from the Rangers. and uh, Yeah, no, he's in the book. Yeah, I spoke to him. I mean, I have his book over. We've become odd friends because we've done, I got him on some comedy shows and uh, he's actually pretty funny. Uh, I hate to admit yeah. it. Uh, of course he's funny. He's got good timing. He's, you know, he spent his whole career doing bits on the ice. Yeah. I mean, Colleen Martin Brodeur, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. I mean, a top five goalie, maybe even top three. Uh, yeah. Calling him fatty. And, Fatso. Like, that's yeah. a <laughs> you know that Martin Brodeur was like, What the who is this guy? <laughs> like, I barely know this guy. And he's he, I, he might have said some things about Brodeur's wife, and like, there you get into crossing the line. Like, uh, you, you know, I, I think, I think my one rule with fam, uh, roast battle, and, and basically Sean Avery was doing roast battle on ice, is, yeah, <laughs> a family's not involved, like, the kids unless it's a comedy duo and the wife is like somehow part of, of the husband's act, then, you know, they signed up for it. But uh, I don't think Sean, you know, there's a moral high ground uh, that I have, but I don't think Sean did. Uh, so. But it's, but that even that is subjective, right? <laughs> That's like, you know, we get like, cause even like, I mean, I, what I, I asked, I asked Sean about that and it's like, he would, you know, he adamantly believes that he never crossed the line because he had his own code of conduct, right? He had certain things that he wouldn't that he that he wouldn't talk about. And I might not remember all of them exactly, but I think it was kind of like it was like race, you know, sexuality, and um, maybe it was like you know, like 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 addiction or something. I I I forget what it was, but his but his point was that like I never crossed the line. You might think I crossed the line, but I didn't cross the line. But like every, but that's the problem with the line, right? right? Is that we don't have the same lines, you know. And also, like some guys do want to cross the line, even if you know, because that's kind of the whole point is you want to get someone else on tilt. So it's like, how do you even begin to think about where a line might be? Well, yeah, it's like uh, you know when I went up to Jesse Joyce and without telling him, you know, I was basically saying, hey, do you mind if I do Craig Giraldo jokes? You were asking permission. Yeah, it was. And he knew that without me saying it. And he said the same thing to me. Like, uh, you know, obviously my parents died two months apart. Uh, you know, it's not something that, uh, you know, obviously it's a sad memory for me. But, uh, you know, I signed up to roast. So I, I told him, no, right. 
you can say whatever you want. Um, cause I knew what I was going to say about Greg Giraldo. So you can joke about my parents. Uh, but you know, there was there, I think I told you this when we spoke, you know, there was a battler in, in the Los Angeles scene who, um, his wife had a, um, you know, situation where uh, the pregnancy didn't work out. And, uh, I told him, Hey, if we ever battle, I won't bring it up. Um, you know, but a lot of people did bring it up with him. Um, yeah is that was that was that was that pat barger oh yeah yeah i mean i didn't want to like yeah uh, no well i mean i don't i mean that's on that's on the comedy central (laughs) that's i was on comedy central too you know that uh i've seen that battle you know and yeah yeah, obviously i'm not trying to bring bring up uh you know bad memories for anyone but it's like but that i mean that that was a pretty that was on a pretty big platform that wasn't just up in the belly room that was a that was a televised roast but see, that's the, where I will agree with Mike Lawrence because the guy he was battling, Eli, who's like a really nice guy, uh, but those jokes just weren't funny. And right, well, ex- you need per- you need clearance. You need to earn it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think in that case, you know, if the jokes were funny, I, I think, I mean, com- let's put it this way: Comedy Central thought that battle was so bad they took it off television. Like that's saying mm. something. When Comedy Central says we can't air this, I mean, yeah. Uh, so, but it goes back to like, you know, when a comic, and this has really nothing to do with roasting or, or roast battle, but like, you know, when Daniel Tosh did that uh, sexual assault joke like ten years ago, and mm-hmm. he got a lot of uh, shit for it, but the problem wasn't necessarily the joke; it, it just wasn't funny. Um, right. Right. Not that you know you can make a sexual assault joke be funny, but like, well, I'm sure somebody can. It's you know, it's like what is what is the intention of the joke, right? And you know, who is the person who is the person who's saying it? What you know, what kind of you know, uh, what authority do they have to say that joke? Or what is the context in which that joke is being said? I feel like all these things inform, you know, inform the way we understand understand these things, you know, in one form or another. I also think like you think about crossing the line and there's a question of like, well, did someone in mean to cross the line or was it just that they have a line in a different place again? Right. Like it's, you know, you know, so you know, Sean Avery, right. He's, he said to me when I, uh, when I, we were talking about this and I was like, well, you know, a lot of people thought you, you know, believed you crossed the line. He said, well, uh, he said like, first of all, you know, if I, you know, if I tell you your wife's a whore, first of all, that's a subjective opinion, <laughs> you know, like, which I think is a great quote. Uh, but it's like, but that also goes back to the point. It's like, he's not necessarily, he's trying to upset you, but like, he's not necessarily trying to say something that he thinks is immoral, right? So it's like, morality is slippery in this way. Um, and so I think the and the questions of how, like, what gives you the permission to do it is an interesting one, because it's like, within the confines of sport, like is competition itself, like just playing a game, is that enough of a kind of like opt-in that like we're accepting of any kind of abuse that comes our way? Or are there certain things that are deemed off limits even more so, right? Like that's part of what makes roast battle so interesting where like it's really a gauge of not just like will offensive things be said, but how far is each individual person willing to go? 
because they might not go as far as the next person or they might go further than the next person. And and then the question is, like, do they get away with it? You I know? mean, I think as long as the joke is true, it's on the table. That, that right. was my one rule. My code of roasting is, you know, if, if you... Um, if you were a uh, a sexual predator and it was proven that you were, I was going to joke about it because it's true. Yeah. Um, you know, so is that crossing the line? Like, if you're going up against a rapist, is it, is it you, you know, like, how is it that I'm crossing the line? He's the rapist. Like, what? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, that was my one... I don't know, moral dilemma, I guess, with doing the show is as long as it was true, it was on the table. Uh, yeah, I think, and I, I think these are, this is an area, just like trash talk in general, where these kinds of questions come up, which is partly what I found interesting, right, is because sometimes even ideas of like competitive imperatives and moral comparatives can be in direct contradiction, right? You can, you know, even think about like, you know, increasingly we're seeing, you know, like in European soccer leagues or, you know, even in the U.S., like if someone says something that's genuinely racist, right, or homophobic, guys will stop, you know, the play and say this person said something or that fan is saying something, get them out of here. But that's also like in some ways you're giving in to the trash talk. You're allowing yourself to be distracted in some form or another. And like, would you be better served? I mean, the obvious and like sort of chief example of this is Zinedine Zidane, right? In the 2006 world cup. Okay. Where Marco Materazzi calls his sister a whore. And he responds by headbutting him, getting a red card and getting kicked out of the world cup final. And his team goes on to lose in penalty kicks. Right. So like, was that a competitive failure to have responded in this way? Like he is a son of Algerian immigrants, you know, and felt duty bound to respond and has said even in years since then that like he would not like he would rather die than apologize to Materazzi because like but in some ways even apologizing would like normalize or sort of like, you know, validate, <clears throat> you know, what he said as being like, OK, and like he somehow messed up by you know, I had buddy him. He's like, no, I didn't mess up. Like what he did was so out of bounds. Everything I did was fine. So in his mind, he had a moral imperative that overrode any kind of competitive imperatives. Uh, but like, how do you negotiate those things? Right. How do you decide what's, you know, what's more important? And especially when we're talking about, you know, like as a society, we're kind of like, we're a win at all costs society. Right. So it's like, what is too far? Like, what can possibly be too far when, like, when winner takes all, right? So it's, it's. I don't. I mean, I don't have an answer to this. I just think it's like you know these things are worth pointing out because, like, ultimately, like we each have an integrity to our person, and I think the things that we do and say have are, are a reflection of who we are, right? So even if we're willing to say this thing, and we feel like we're you know, we have permission to do it because of the structure of sport or because of the structure of roast battle or whatever. That's still a thing that we said, right? We are a person who said this thing. <laughs> and like, just from like a holistic kind of moral philosophy perspective, you have to somehow reconcile that with who you are. And like, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but I think it's worth considering instead of like, 
what we shouldn't do, what people shouldn't do, I hope, is just like, you know, go to these spaces and assume a kind of carte blanche of like anything I say is for not just forgivable, but in fact, like, you know, forgiven even before I say it, because like words do matter. Words have consequence. Right. And they can have competitive consequence and they can have moral consequence. Oh, I mean, I believe uh, someone told me about an incident from an Austin roast battle which is like, I don't think it's affiliated with the Brian Moses uh, roast battle, although he might have given them the okay to uh, uh, where someone committed suicide uh, from wow. a, a joke. Because it is, a, I mean, it's a brutal experience to go through hearing about your parents dying, you know, two months apart on television, or, you know, yeah. I certainly me joking about Greg Giraldo or, or, you know, I probably told some homophobic jokes against Tom Ballard, but, you know, I, I had to, like, you know, uh, I think, you know, and the jokes told about me and young girls, like, you know, it's not a great, you have to be very mentally strong to yeah. um, deal with the the effects of jokes. And even, like, I, I'm just as guilty you know, I battled uh, one of my girlfriends who had been sexually assaulted and I was doing jokes about it. Uh, of course, we broke up a month later, but like, you know, probably wasn't the smartest decision. But, you know, the jokes were funny, though. So, yeah, you know, I, I just said, you know, her name, you know, she was raped and uh, I'm not saying she's lonely, but uh, she asked the guy, hey, what are you doing tomorrow? Um, you know, <laughs> so probably... You know, wish I could take that joke back. I'd probably not even do the battle, but yeah, you, you know, it's a very, you know, I, I don't. That's why when I see a lot of younger comics doing it, I almost want to talk them out of doing it. Even yeah. though I got a lot from the show. It's like I don't think you're mentally ready for this. Like, well, and mental strength is something that like I never really thought a lot about before. I mean, going into this, I mean, I knew that like. I had kind of like vague concepts about what that actually means, right? Like that's a term we can throw around, but what does it actually mean to be mentally strong, right? And within the context of sports, I would you know argue that mental toughness is kind of like it's the ability to do the thing that you need to do when you need to do it in spite of any perceived pressure or possible distraction, right? It's like focusing on the task at hand, again, kind of cliche thing to say, right? But it's like how you actually get to that point, like how can you actually get to the point where it's like your girlfriend can focus on or ex-girlfriend, uh, you know, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, at the at the you know, how can she kind of like acknowledge that the joke you said was, was said and is hurtful and kind of and dismiss it and then focus back, you know, and like sort of recenter herself in the moment in a way that she can focus on the next joke that she needs to tell or to, you know, or to, you know, to rebut you in some form or another, right? How can Jimmy Carr kind of like block out, you know, the potential distraction of being reminded that he's reading so that he can not focus on the mechanics of that, but again, refocus, you know, focus on the on the tasks that he needs to do in terms of actually telling the jokes. And it's like these things have to actually be practiced. Like we need to confront these things. Like we like like play like athletes need to practice with 
they should practice with trash talk where someone is literally bringing up things they are sensitive to, things that will be triggering to them. Like if I were to roast battle with you or anyone, which I probably, you know, when I went into this, I assumed I was like, oh yeah, I'll just, I'll roast battle because I like to do kind of like, you know, immersive journalism. And then I see all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to roast battle. Uh, Partly because I don't know if I can uphold my end of the bargain well enough to, you know, to accept it. But like, I would have to spend so much time, which I should do anyway, to get, you know, you know, acknowledging my own insecurities, you know, my own weaknesses, knowing that like other people are going to see them too. And if I can't embrace them in one form or another, I mean, this is, this is Eminem, right? In the climactic rap battle scene, you know? Like, I got to call my shit out. I got to own my shit. If I can't own it, then it can be weaponized against me, right? And so it's like, there's something, and people talk about, a lot of comics talk about roast battles being cathartic. And I, whether it is or not, it has cathartic potential. And it's like, and it's not just what happens on stage, but I think it's everything that has to go into it mentally to get yourself up to the stage. And if it do, and if you don't do that work, that mental work, like acknowledging your own insecurities, sort of coming to terms even with the possibility of failure, of looking foolish in front of other people, like then you will have that kind of rash reaction. You know, I know that I know that it's like, you know, like Moses prides himself on the fact that there's like no fistfights at 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 Rose Battle. But it's like if there ever if there I, if there ever were to be, it would be a result of that, of somebody reacting out of anger and emotion because they didn't put in you know, the, the psychological work that they needed to do ahead of time. And they'd be responding because they weren't prepared to hear those things. I mean, you, you nailed it with just, you have to own your shit. Uh, yeah. Like before every roast battle, I would look at myself naked in the mirror and go, what can they make fun of? Mm. Do I have a pot belly? Do, are, do, is my head big? Am I balding? What what physically can they make fun of? And then okay, I look pretty good for a comic, so they you know they can't really come at me for my body or you know I'm a relatively decent looking stand up. Uh, <laughs> I mean I'm not Matt Rife, but who is? Uh, and then okay, what stories are out there about you that are out there? Like you know obviously you know people know about my parents and. Um, and in the LA specific show, you know, everyone knew who was sleeping with who. So, okay, Earl's dating this girl. She also fucked this guy. So let's do a joke about that. Um, so I, I had rebuttals for every possible scenario. Right. You know, in fact, the one battle I lost on television, Sarah Tiana, it's also how you do the joke. Like I knew she was going to have a joke about me dating young girls. Uh, but the way she worded it was so good, something that it was along the lines of, you know, Earl likes to date young girls. She has a lot of their pictures on his hard drive. Like, I was like, what, what do I say? It's like, what? I, I had no comeback. Uh, so yeah. it's not just what you say, but how you say it. Um, you know, like. Yeah. I would even say then it's like, I would add a layer to that especially when we're talking about trash talking within competition too it's not just what you say it's not just how you say it it's also when you say it because, oh 100%. yeah well and, and because you know if i'm trying to throw you off your game let's say you know and you're and you just scored a hat trick <laughs> and i and i talk about you dating young girls you're gonna be like 
uh, okay, fuck this guy, whatever. But like, if you're, if you're, if you're flubbing passes left and right, and like you're on, you know, the fifth string, you know, whatever, you know, the fifth string line and like, maybe you, I think that you maybe think that you suck and I can play into that insecurity, right. Or that kind of, or, or maybe because you've just been slumping and I can pick up on that and you just have, and you just fuck up and I see you miss a pass and I, and I say something then it's like, well, maybe that will be the time that it gets you thrown off your game because you're so much more on edge because you already feel more pressure and I'm adding more pressure to that. So the timing, yeah. The, and I know and obviously, you know, timing and comedy is, is everything too, but it's like, that's, like if if you're if I'm going to force you to hear what I want you you know what I want to say like timing matters. Oh, timing's everything. Like if yeah, you, uh, misfire. Like most of my best jokes in, in roast battle parlance were rebuttals. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you, know. you you described yourself to me as a counterpuncher. Yeah, I, I uh, you know I'm not you know if, if they're nice to me in the battle and we're just playing. I'm nice baby jokes, you know, but if they, Oh, you want to joke about my parents passing away? Well, I'm a joke about your best friend killing himself. Yeah. I'll grab you. Um, <laughs> but, so but, and being unexpected, right? Because it's like, I, Nicole Buchanan and I talked about this, but it's, it's, you know, is that like if she, when she was going up against, um, you know, someone who's, you know, fat in a wheelchair, whatever, it's like, you know, like, like Mike Lawrence against Ralphie May. I mean, that's the expected line of attack. And he felt he had to do it. And maybe Ralphie wasn't prepared for it. These are all separate discussions. He was like, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like when you can say something that someone doesn't see coming, it's not just that it might cut them more to the core. We were talking about attention before. It is literally just like, like psychologically more attention grabbing. Like it forces you out of your, of the kind of like, you know, you we have two systems for thinking system one, system two, fast thinking and slow thinking. And like fast thinking is like, it's on autopilot and you're just absorbing things that you sort of like, it's the model of the world that you expect and understand. And when something happens that violates the model of that world, it forces your brain to slow down and it grabs your attention. Right. So it's like, so this is why like Kevin Garnett getting on all fours and barking like a dog, right. Is, is going to grab someone's attention. It's why, there's there's a great story. Um, it's not in the book, but uh, there's an it was an amateur high school wrestler who right before that like you know the ref blew the whistle or whatever the fuck they do before they start, you know he they'd be down on he'd be on top of the guy and he'd whisper in his ear and say, "Do you moisturize? You have really soft skin." <laughs> and it's just like, and it just like screws the guys up unbelievably. But like. If I can say something to you that you don't see coming, that you didn't see when you looked in the mirror, like what is the thing that you're not seeing? Like that is, that's attention grabbing. And that's also the thing that's going to like knock someone off their game. Well, I also think the truth really. Totally. Well, especially if you haven't come to terms with the truth. Like, you know, when I was, you know, toward the end of my uh, roast battle career, I was getting a little meaner. So I wouldn't do the fat, the typical, if someone was fat, I would do fat jokes. I would attack their comedy. Uh, and mm. especially at the comedy store where I, th you know, there weren't that many paid regulars who participated in roast battle. Cause I think they were scared. They were like, ah, uh, no, we're good. Uh, or felt they had too much to lose. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Moses, uh, myself, and Tiana maybe were the only three. I might be missing one or two. Oh, well, Frank Castillo, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the early, early years. Um, so I knew if I attacked someone's comedy, what could they say about mine? It's like, my name's on the front of the building. Like, you know, your comedy's horrible. And they knew it. Like, like. That hurts their soul. When you say something so truthful, it hurts. Like, no, because no comic wants to hear they're not funny. Um, yeah. You know, you can call me old. I'm like, I look good for my age. Or you can call Ralphie fat. And he should have been like, I'm the most successful fucking comic on this show. Who are you? Like, that's how I would have done it uh, if I was 700 pounds. But um, thank God I'm not. Uh, hey, I was a pallbearer at Ralphie's funeral. So I don't want to hear it. Like I was the only guy who worked out, so they needed someone. Uh, so you know, because I learned that from Brendan Lynch. Who did you interview him for your book? No, I didn't. He was one of my favorite roast battlers, and he only did like two. But he wouldn't do the yo mama like, you know, jokes that are prevalent with roast battle, like just surface level visual jokes, you know. Uh, he would attack your comedy. Like, you suck. And like, what do you say to that? Someone's calling yeah. you not funny. <laughs> it's almost unrebuttable. Uh, right. Because you look like an idiot if you go, no, I'm funny. Well, that's it. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can never, the worst thing you can ever do, right, is like contradict someone. Like, because then first of all, you're you're engaging on their terms, right? And you're you're accepting their logic system and they're, they're like you're you know so i i actually love this idea of like <clears throat> of like whose terms do we do we do we have to engage on or do we you know do we engage on when it comes to these things like like muhammad ali okay versus joe frazier in their first ever you know the first bout you know the uh, fight of the century and you know talking a whole lot of shit ahead of time because of course he is <laughs> and he loses the fight ultimately, losing decision. But they both get sent to the hospital, you know, to the hospital afterwards. Ali checks himself out of the hospital that very night, doesn't even spend the night, while Frazier spends weeks in the hospital convalescing. And Ali uses that fact, the fact that he checked himself out that night, to claim that he's the real winner because he and he must have done because he did the most damage because Frazier spent all that time in the hospital. It's like you, like it's that's squirmy logic, but you can't argue with him. You can't argue. That's the thing you can't do. You cannot argue when it comes to this stuff because the second you argue, you lose. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, it's funny you mentioned boxing. Like one of my, my favorite boxing fight ever, and this kind of has nothing to do with roasting and roast battle, but it has everything to do with it. Is Ron Lyle against George Foreman? Yeah, just. The greatest heavyweight fight no one's ever, you know, no one talks about. And this was a prime George Foreman, um, not scared of any man on the planet. And Ron Lyle had just gotten out of prison for seven years for killing someone. So he had no fear. And the faceoff, Lyle just walks right up to Foreman and just is mean mugging Foreman. And you could tell it affected Foreman, like, yeah because lyle showed him no respect and uh Mm. took some he knocked foreman out down three times 
before he got so tired, he just collapsed that he lost the fight. But uh, I also like it when you, you know, roast battle specifically is it's very much a mental uh, sport. Like you have to show no fear, yeah, to, and almost no respect to the other person, because then that throws them off. Like, oh, why? You know, like when I would go out there in some of those battles I had in the belly room, I'd make fun of the judges, I'd make fun of the crowd, I'd make fun of Coach T, who was the DJ in the back and and the funniest guy in the show. Um, I'd make fun of the autistic kid who jumps around with his floppy tits everywhere. And and the other person would be looking at me like, hey, how about me? I'm like, I'll get to you in a second, honey. Um, so it, it, that's the Rick Rude. Mm, yeah. Know, <laughs> walking out into an arena, calling them fat slobs. And they love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the heel. That's the gorgeous George. That's the guy we love to hate. Yeah, I mean, it was that's. I'm like, when I started doing roast battle, I just started watching old wrestling tapes and going, okay, who do I want to act like? It was Rick Rude, uh, a little bit of Ric Flair, um, and uh, and then of course I got to roast Ric Flair last year, so that was like heaven. So he said I was his favorite one, and then he called me Ron. I'm like, oh, my name's <laughs> what? Uh, what? <laughs> so in the end, he roasted you. <laughs> He did, but he was great. Like, I mean, it, that was probably um, the toughest roast roast battle I've ever done because I'm on stage with a bunch of famous pro wrestlers who don't know me. Yeah. Um, and I have to, you know, I'm talking about Vicky Guerrero's pussy and like, and I'm like, I'm apologizing to her after. I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm sorry. Uh, calling Ric Flair a womanizing drunk in front of his wife, like <laughs> you know, uh, so that that's where it's a little different than roast battle. Like, an yeah, roast is just, and at the end, every single person on the Ric Flair roast was like, "You're the greatest wrestler of all time." Thank you. Yeah, that's again the tribute. That's the permission. That's like what what allows you to get away with it. But the mental the mental game of roast battle that you brought up is interesting too, because like I mean, you've already you've you know, we've talked about a few examples of it from like you know, calling someone out on what they're doing physically <clears throat> or, you know, not saying the thing that, you know, they, that you're expecting, you know, keeping them on edge, like waiting for you to say the thing that, that, that they want you to say, but also, right. But coming out and not attacking the person. So like, there's, there's a, a you know, again, you know, when, when we anticipate, when we anticipate something bad happening and we go science again, when we anticipate something bad happening, we actually have, or good, bad or good, like we have the same kind of like physiological and 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 psychological reaction in our bodies as if that thing is already happening. Sure. So if you're able to extend the anticipation period of something bad happening, you're actually doing more damage to the person over that course of time. So Sean Avery and I talked about how like guys would literally circle the games on their calendar, like when Sean Avery was coming to town or when they were going to play against him and like, and how that time expanded, right. From like when he was young, it's like, Oh, we got this new kid, you know, coming up next game to like, by the time he was, you know, a veteran, they were circulating it before the season even started. Like, fuck, I'm going to have to play Avery in March or whatever. But that means that like, you're thinking about that person and you're essentially 
being stressed out by this person that entire time. So like delaying that kind of attack is actually quite effective psychologically. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what attracted to me to Roast Battle was the, not the jokes, but the strategizing, the, the fucking with people's minds. To make it a real sport, yeah, which is something that Moses, I know, talks about. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, I mean, everyone's different. Like, there's some people who just write five mean jokes about you, and, and I'm going to say these jokes in this order, and hopefully they fly, uh, and then there's... You know, people like me and uh, Alex Hooper who do the the kiss style performance. And but we also have the jokes, too. And then, you know, there's someone like Mike Lawrence who's up there in a T-shirt and jeans and there's no uh, pomp and circumstance. He's just going to hit you with mean and very brilliant crafted jokes. And, you know, Sarah Tiana is going to hit you with that Southern bell like ability and the smile and. And then, uh, you know, someone like Jamar Neighbors, who was, uh, he, he battles in a very uh, Andy Kaufman-esque vibe. Like, he's so bizarre, he's hard to battle because he just, mm -hmm. he, he doesn't really say jokes. He just kind of almost like a freestyle rapper, but, <laughs> you know, he just, it's, I would never battle him. He, he's impossible. <laughs> um, so... Uh, and it's also if you respect the person like mm. um, you know i get asked all the time to come back and battle and i'm like i don't even know who you are like if you're gonna joke about my parents dying i better know you and i better like you uh, mm -hmm. you know but right. that's so, again yeah you know but it's all but it speaks to that again just like that idea it's like you gotta have permission somehow right there has to be some kind of permissive structure in place that allows us to like do really seemingly awful things to one another Cause like when we don't have that, that's when we end up. That's when we end up in fights. That's when we end up in wars. I mean, I'm talking like right. societally, but like so, you know, that's like what happens when you know it's what's happening in politics right now, and it's not that's not breaking news. <clears throat> but there's a great story that was shared with me from this 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 philosopher when he was in. Um, <clears throat> When he was in school for grad school, he had a he had a beer with this guy who was um from the former Yugoslavia. Uh and he was they were talking about like as it was leading up to war, you know, you know, before war broke out. And he said what he really started to worry was when people stopped being able to make fun of each other. That's when he worried. That's when he knew things were gonna go bad. And it's and I think that's that's amazing because it's like Again, it goes back to this idea that like these this can be a really flattering activity. Like I'm taking time to learn who you are, you know, and like and for a lot of folks, I think like you only accept it because it's like this is intimacy masquerading as verbal violence. It's intimacy masquerading as hostility. But it's like if you don't have that intimacy, if you don't have that trust, there has to be trust. Trust is key. You know, then it's like it it becomes really volatile. You know, there. Zora Neale Hurston taught, you know, the I know you know what the dozens is. Uh, she described the dozens as a risky pleasure because it's like, yeah, it's meant to be one thing, but you never know how someone's going to take it. And like this shit is not just about what's said. It's about how somebody takes it, how someone responds. Yeah, I mean, which is, um, you know, like that's why I have to respect you as not just a comic, but as a person. Um, yeah. I, you know, that's one of the things I don't like about 
not necessarily roast battle, but the roast battle like shows that are, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a million knockoff shows now. Um, it's just two random people battling mm-hmm. each other. Uh, you're fat, you're a lesbian, yeah. you're a yeah. whore. Uh, okay, uh, this isn't really funny, I guess. Uh, it, it, same thing with right, the, 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 it goes back to the very beginning of the conversation, right? To that roast of Chevy Chase. It's like, this is just the commercialization of insults, but like without any intimacy without any trust so it's like of course this is not going to go over well i mean obviously from what everything i've heard you know i've heard chevy had his own role to play in that he's not innocent here (laughs) but but like but those comedy central roasts are serving a different purpose than than the fire club roasts were like i know they've asked rob schneider a bunch of times and he's like why the fuck would i sign up for that like unless it's like sandler and spade and chris rock and uh you know, people who've been in some of his movies, you know, Eddie Griffin, I guess, you know, from Deuce mm-hmm. Uh, But he's like, I'm not going to go up there and have Jeff Ross, who I don't even really like, uh, make fun of me. Like, what is that? Um, so I think that's why the Dean Martin roasts were so great, because you could tell, like, they said some pretty racially insensitive things on those roasts, but... yeah. Especially to poor Nipsey Russell, who was like the butt of every racial joke, but they loved him. Like you could see, they were like basically saying, "I'm sorry," through their eyes. But I got to say this joke, man. Um, or when Don Rickles said to Sammy Davis, and I don't even understand what this joke means. He's like, "Either you're black, or you fell into a bucket of M and M's." It's like, what? What is that? Wait, what? Uh, but you could tell that Sammy liked the joke. Don, like they hugged after. Uh, like when I wrote for Dr. Ken on the, um, the, uh, what's the Alec Baldwin Rose? Uh, like you could tell, like three quarters of the dais didn't know Alec Baldwin. They were just there. Uh, right. It wasn't that funny, uh, to be honest, because I had to go there to basically be like Dr. Ken's uh, quarterback coach, uh, during commercial breaks and whatnot. And, uh, I was like, oh, they, you know, they don't even know at Baldwin. Like, this is, I mean, Bruce, Caitlyn Jenner had the best joke of the night, and she's not even a comic. Hmm. Um, I think she said to Blake Griffin because he was dating his daughter. Like, just, just so you know, when you come over for dinner, you'll be the second best athlete in the home. Like, that's a great joke. Like, uh, but like when. Kaylin Jenner is the funniest person on the roast. That's not a good sign, at least yeah. to me. Um, so, you know, I, I much prefer the Dean Martin roast and and like the, the early days of roast battle when we all knew each other. You know, now it's just two open mic comics battling each other. And Yeah, you know, not to get too, you know, uh, you know grand with it, but I think that, that these kinds of considerations are something like I feel like politics you know you know societally society in general can take some lessons from these kinds of things from roast battle right because it's like you know know, donald trump is a is a is a trash talker i mean i think a lot of it crosses lines and and this and that but it's like how do we create the conditions for ourselves societally that like we don't end up with like alec baldwin type roasts where people are being mean and people are being hurt as opposed to just like talking shit and actually being better for it. Right. You know, 
there's a, there's a concept in sports or, you know, or psychology in general called social facilitation, but it's basically this idea that it's like, you're better with a rival than you can be on your own. Like I will run faster on a track if you're running next to me than I will by myself. Right. And it's like this idea that someone talking shit to you can in the same way, like push you to, to greater heights than you could get to on your own. And in so doing push them back to greater heights. So it's like, are we trying to build up or are we trying to tear down is kind of an important question. And it's like, how do we, you know, I think that's worth, it's it's worth asking both in terms of roast battle and like individual comics. It's worth asking in terms of athletes and it's worth asking in terms of like anywhere that this type of like discourse takes place. It's like, what's your goal? Are you tearing down or are you building up? And, and I, I think, I, I mean, I, I think obviously like a lot of people, like to your point, it's like, we're, we often find ourselves at Alec Baldwin roasts and like, we're not better for it. Well, I think where Trump, it, it, this is what I loved about him. And it's hard to say if you love anything about that guy, but he was really good at painting someone into a corner. Like that first Republican debate in 2016, I know we're like going back. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. So brilliant what he did. Because if you look at those candidates, and if you're a political junkie, you remember, and if you don't, I'm sorry, uh, you know, you had Ben Carson, a brain surgeon, uh, like pretty smart guy. Um, and then you had Jeb Bush, who probably should have been the nominee based on his uh, experience of running a huge state and his family pedigree and uh, probably being the best politician. And Trump hit him with, it's not even a sentence, but low energy Jeb. And he ruined him, like with one, and say, you know, I'm not a, a Trump guy, but like that was so truthful what he said. You could not look at Jeb Bush anymore and go, yeah, he he does kind of just sit there. Like, you know, he, he does kind of seem like, yeah, it's just the guy I want with the nuclear codes. I don't know about that. Uh, and it was brilliant. Like, he ruined this guy. And uh, now he's trying uh, with this, uh, DeSantis, and it's not working as well. I mean, he's, he's not to turn this into a, you know, Ari Melber's show, but, like, you know, the second time around, it's not working, the trash talking, from the standpoint of, you know, the effectiveness He's just lucky DeSantis is a horrible candidate, but like that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it all, goes, and also, no, no, go ahead. He's trying to be the underdog again, right? He's trying to be, he's like, Trump was the underdog in 2016 and he could bring that kind of energy. But like now, Trump's a loser. And I, I'm not saying that in a, like a pejorative way. I'm saying that in like a literal historical way. Like he lost an election. Like he, you know, he was, he won an election and then he lost an election. And so it's like, how can you, you can't bring that outsider energy. You can't bring that underdog energy, that nothing to lose energy, you know, when you're not that guy anymore. Yeah. It just feels different this time around. Like in 2016, you know, I don't know, maybe it was because we'd never heard a politician talk like this before. Like, calling Ben Carson an average brain surgeon. Like, <laughs> like there are no average brain surgeons. You're either good at it or you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like, oh, this that's, guy the, that's the logic system, right? Like, I mean, again, Trump is one of those guys 
I mean, I, I hate to put Trump and Muhammad Ali in a sentence together, but it's just like the what we were talking about before with the way that Ali could sort of manipulate public discourse to like so that we were on his terms of engagement. I mean, Trump absolutely did that, too. Like, and I think we're starting to get a little bit, we're maybe getting a little bit more hip to it and he's maybe just getting a little bit worse at it. But, but that's what, that's what he was able to do is that he set the terms of engagement when you can do that, like as a trash talker or just, you know, obviously just like as a manipulator of public discourse in general, like you're going to win because we're playing on your terms. I mean, I think, yeah, you, you know, absolutely. And I think you hit it. Trump reminds me of when McGregor and uh, or McGregor, Chael Sonnen, you, you know, when they were winning, even if they were saying stuff that wasn't true, yeah, it was still captivating. But the second Chael's the only undefeated fighter who's lost ten fights. <laughs> but see, I liked because I got what he was doing. He was totally totally superstar Billy Graham, and that that's basically. For newer wrestling fans probably don't know who that is, but he was Hulk Hogan before Hulk Hogan. Um, yeah. He was literally ripping off his speeches. Um, but the second he started losing a lot, it's like, eh, it doesn't quite mean as much. And and when McGregor got just manhandled by, I'm going to try and say his name. I always mess it up. Khabib Nurmagomedov. I think it's pretty close. Uh, but I was like, oh, you're not even close to being the best fighter in the world. This this uh, Kakistanian guy is like he just kicked your ass. Uh, yeah. So the 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 pomp and circumstance, you know, when you start losing, like Trump has lost, you know, Jesus, one election. Some people would argue two, but like for sure, one election. Uh, it, it's not doing too well in its court cases this week. Uh, so the bluster doesn't. You got to. Yeah. To back you got to back. You got to back it up, man. Ultimately, you have to back it up. That's right. Like again, you're raising the stakes on yourself. You're putting pressure on yourself. But like, yeah, once once we see through you, once we see that there's no substance there, yeah, you got to back it up. You got to have something behind the talk. Ultimately, you know that's you know even when Ali started losing, you know when he lost to Trevor Burbick, I think, and and then uh, Larry Holmes, like yeah, you can only spin it. You can only spin it so many times. I mean, you could spend it a thousand times, but you better be winning. Um, well, you're right. If you keep losing, I mean, yeah, you can look at. But look at Rousey, like that. She's a, yeah. probably a more modern day era of, you know, the the being a bitch to the opponents, not shaking hands and yeah, mean mugging them and and being a a c word most of the time. Uh, it was great. It was captivating. Oh, let's put her in the Expendables. Let's put her in. They were going to remake Roadhouse and put her as the yeah. Swayze character, but as soon as Holly Holmes' shin connected with her head, yeah, the next next fight, I mean, she got a little bit of a pass with the Holmes fight because it was like, ah, oh, it's one fight anyone could lose, and then when Nunes like beat her up in like forty eight seconds, it's like, oh, you're just a bitch, like you're not captivating anymore. So yeah, there's something interesting about about. Rhonda too, in that, I don't know, she didn't, and maybe, maybe it's just sexism, definitely possible that like that public sentiment was never really on her side the way it was with McGregor, because when she lost to, uh, to Holly Holm, like people were 
like coming out of the woodwork, like with the schadenfreude of like, you know, loving her loss and saying she deserves it and she's a piece of shit. And so I don't know. I don't if there, I don't know if there's something qualitatively different or if that's just a reflection of, you know, the fact that we're sexist. <laughs> but I mean, I think with her it was she was so dominating. Like no one had a chance. Yeah. And it was so one note, you know, grapple, arm bar. So yeah. uh and you know, she was like a heel, uh, like a. But yeah, and she but and she was mean without because there's something about McGregor, you know, like when he was at his best, like he was funny, like he's charismatic, like he made you laugh, like you 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 hated to love him, you know. I mean, a lot of people love to love him, but like he's got timing. He's Whereas I don't know, I don't know that Holly ever had that charisma. I mean, not that Holly, Rhonda ever had that charisma to her. I mean, you know, it's funny. She obviously she grew up idolizing uh, Roddy Piper, um, so you would think she'd be a little more uh, would have that. You know, I'm sure she was a little more a little more showmanship. You know, yeah, and uh, you know, even in wrestling today, like. Uh, I think she's in Ring of Honor now. I don't want to turn this into a wrestling podcast. <laughs> I could, trust me. Uh, uh, you, you know, she doesn't, she's not great on the mic uh, versus like. Right. And, and how, but like, what a, what a fucking, are you kidding me? What a shame. The fact that you were like this top UFC fighter and you can't cut a promo. Are you kidding me? Like. Well, that's for good writing. Like you would need Mike Lawrence or Tiana. You know, there was a wrestler uh, back in the day uh, in WCW named Lance Storm, um, who was one of the great. He's actually like a good wrestler. Like he was, that was his problem. Was no one wants to actually watch wrestling? Like we want to see the bullshit. Uh, and some writer gave you know he had no personality basically because he was a legit, you know, uh, trained by Stu Hart in the dojo, like. You, you could beat up guys legitimately um, on his wrestling skills, but he just had zero mic skills. And so a writer, and I don't know who it was, or I'd give them the credit. They turned his biggest weakness. And it's almost like with roast battle. If you're fat, or if you're a whore, or if you're old like me, you, you, you flip it and it's a strength. And they, they made his promos funny because He'd basically go up to the mic and go, yeah, I'm boring. I know it. If I could be serious for just a moment. And people would boo. And, like, he, he never got reactions like that before. So yeah, I think good writing can solve a lot of personality um, <laughs> disorders. Uh, that's why you see certain roast battle comics. They have no personality off stage, But they use roast battles almost like a form of bizarre theater. To be like, oh, I can act like, and I even did it, you know. It's performance, yeah. I get to be a pro wrestler for 10 minutes on stage. Um, I mean, I unnerved Jeremy Piven once, so he wanted to kill me uh, in the belly room. Uh, I, I still feel bad because I don't think he was in on the joke. I was just following orders. <laughs> um, and because they were like, there was a battle going on and I won't say who, but I got a text. Hey, get up here, man. You got to save the show. Piven's up here. Just start roasting him. And I thought he was in on the gag. 
So I start shitting all over this guy. Of course, Jeff is staring at the wall going, oh, my God, Earl's going to ruin this relationship with Piven I have. Great. Would that be the worst thing in the world? Uh, and he's like, I don't know who the fuck you are, man, but I'm going to kick your ass in the parking lot. And I'm like, let's do it right here, bitch. And <laughs> people got in between us. Like, Jason Reitman's having a heart attack. Uh, so, you know, it's, I was acting. And then I got out of there pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. But where can people buy the book? Like, let's plug this book, man. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, certainly you can find it online. Obviously, it's Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those trash talk. The only book about destroying your rivals that isn't total garbage. But uh, you know, of course, either you can check your local independent stores, or they can special order it if they don't have it in stock. But uh, but yeah, please pick up a copy. I really hope people do. Um, you know, I I, I tried to. You know, I tried to weave in like, you know, again, the, the comedy, the, the the sports, you know, the science, all of it, because I, I do think there's, you know, trash talk is just a topic that people I think we all love and we've never really thought enough about it, to be honest. Well, even watching the, the last few, I'm a political junkie. I probably don't strike people as someone who follows politics. Mm -hmm. but, uh, like, I love watching the debates because to me, that's like a seven person roast battle. Totally. Like, they're all trying to get their lines in and um, you know that ramaswamy guy like he just he's like the new trump he just says stuff like he don't there's no fact checking his stuff uh <laughs> like he's out of control but he'll, he'll he gets he gets the energy going and then christy starts jumping in on him and then tim scott just sits there like i'm just happy to be asked to be on stage uh <laughs> and uh the guy from oklahoma like he had zero percent of the vote. Like I don't know how that's possible. Uh, he was just I don't know what. Like it's an old Dennis Miller joke, but it's like me and Asa Hutchinson are tied, and I'm not even right. Like right. I think he said that about Dan Quayle. Uh, um, so, and it's just fascinating the the mental gymnastics and like, I don't know if the, will the Democrats have a debate or does Biden just go right in? I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I can't, I don't, I can't imagine that they will. Um, that's why I'd love to see. Now he is my cousin in full disclosure, RFK Jr. Uh, I would love to see him and I guess he'd be in the Republican debate. Like, or is it, he's running as an independent, isn't he? So he would be in the, so if, let's say it's Trump and Biden, as scary as that sounds, RFK would be in that debate if if he could get in. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, if he can if he can pull high enough, which I, he probably would be able to 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 get onto the debate stage at least. Yeah, he, that's he, right. He'd be hilarious because he would throw. And it's not like he's a young chicken; like he's in his sixties. Uh, but I guess that's young for this presidential go around but he would be great because he's like the outlier he would throw questions at trump and biden and they would be the boss like <laughs> get the vaccine thing going and uh you know skull and bones and the illuminati and trump oh yeah i agree with that <laughs> I, so i can't wait i hope he gets in not just because he's family but you need a he's got nothing to lose well, if nothing else, I think we could all agree that we'd like to have entertaining debates, right? That's at the very least. Oh, that's why I watch. It's just, yeah. uh, 
you know, for the spin, I like this, the interviews after where like when they were interviewing Tim Scott, it'd be, I, I think I won that. I'm like, what planet are you on, man? Like you didn't say a fucking word the last half hour. Uh, so I just love the, uh, the it's a spectacle. Like it, it's, I kind of feel bad because I don't want to hear policy debates. I want to hear people yelling at Christie for being fat. And like, <laughs> well, maybe they should have a policy debate, and then they should also have a roast battle. Like they could be separate. You know, you know, you're gonna have the three debates anyway. Maybe like, and then the last one could be like a physical challenge or something. You know, you can uh, have an obstacle course. But we talk about the truth, and like, you know, that I was just watching Christie get interviewed before our interview and he's basically saying uh i'm the one who can beat trump i'm the one who can stop him and it's like in 2016 you were behind him in every press conference like you yeah. built him yeah so that but if, if i was roast battling Christie, i would bring that up and because it's the truth and he would have no rebuttal for it the yeah truth. unless again unless he owned it in the first place right unless he said you know I'm Dr. Frankenstein and I fucked up, you know? I would respect him if he did say, yeah. oh, hey, listen, right. I, got, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm sorry. I can take him down now. Or if he was being more truthful, I, I cynically saw an opportunity to gain some power and I took it and, and I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Well, Rafi, this uh, has been a very fun interview. Um, I hope we can. Yeah, are, you, are you in New York? Atlanta now. I used to be in New York. I'm down in Atlanta these days. Okay. Uh, my mom's from Cartersville, so I'm familiar with uh All uh, right. It's like Mayberry RFD in Cartersville. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting... Uh, I don't know if slavery's been abolished in Cartersville, but... Um, we, we're, going, we're living through a range of eras in Georgia at the same time. It's just, you know, living I, through all of them at once. My favorite part was uh, when the Atlanta Thrashers, rest in peace, uh, they drafted and traded for all these African-American players. Now, I get it. Like, the marketing was, okay, the arena's in a pretty shitty neighborhood. We're not going to be a very good team outside of Kovalchuk. Uh, let's just draft ethnic players. And, like, I don't know uh, – people will come to watch and then they moved to Winnipeg. And I don't think, I think there were nine black players on the thrashers and there weren't nine black people in Winnipeg. Like, so they literally doubled the population uh, or they all got traded. So uh, yeah. please let's do this again. Uh, do you have any new books or what's next for you? Oh, uh, well, this one just came out. So I'm definitely just, uh, you know, trying to, you know, get the word out about this one as much as I can, but I, I, you know, I, I do, I mean, it's, it's a little, um, I don't have anything specific going forward, but I do think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sort of threads that I can still pull on from this book. Some of the stuff we talked about, like mental toughness, which I get into a little bit. I, I, I kind of was really intrigued by some of the conversations I had. I might be interested to go down those roads, but nothing, nothing concrete at this point for now. So for now I'm just, you know, hoping people read this book and, you know, you know, have some conversations about it. Well, it's a fascinating book. I mean, cause it's, I, I think with roast battle specifically, it's, there's a lot more that goes on than just simple insults. Uh, yeah. 
And I think we, we do ourselves a disservice in general. I mean, like, again, not just with roast battle, not just with trash talk, but just like societally to sort of to flatten this idea of what happens when people talk shit to each other. Like you can actually understand what's happening, what's taking place beneath the surface. And when you do, you can also respond in smarter ways. <laughs> like, again, both with comebacks and also just like with behavior that maybe we can feel proud of. Well, it's probably my favorite. There's some great hockey chirp clips on YouTube. and Oh, yeah. My favorite one is uh, is the Rangers and Flyers. And, of course, that's a very heated rivalry going back 40 years. And uh, there was this goon on the Flyers by the name of Tom Sestito. Horrible player. like, But he was a 6'5", 240. And yeah. he was, try it, he was very intimidating looking. He, he looked like a almost like a character from Slapshot. And he had gotten called up for that one game to intimidate the Rangers. And Brad Richards, who played on the uh, Tampa Bay and, and then uh, that season the Rangers, very small player, may maybe 5'10", very slight. He just totally disarmed them. They're on the benches side by side. And he's like, I'm going to fucking cut your face up, Richards. I'm going to destroy you. And he's using a lot worse language than that. And Brad Richards, like, just totally shut him down with one sentence. Like, enjoy your one-day fantasy camp. You'll be back in the minors tomorrow, bitch. <laughs> and like, yeah. It's like, totally, like, that's what I love about roasting, roast battle, chirping, shit-talking yeah. is physical size means nothing. Like, yeah. here, here you have dominion to Brad Richards, who probably has zero muscle tone in his body. And then you have hulking Tom Sestito, 6'5", 250. It's just like, yeah. And the look on Sestito's face was like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, jaw dropping. Gary Payton said to Jamie Fike one year, again, big, big player. He said, you won't even be in the league next year. And and it destroyed him. I mean, that's. That's what that's what a few choice words can do. <laughs> oh, I mean, there was a, a one more, of course, the hockey story this year. The Kings and um, Vegas Golden Knights were playing a preseason game, and you know, preseason hockey. There's certain rules. You know, we talk about rules and and the code, and and preseason hockey. Uh, when the veterans are playing, it, it's kind of a rule you don't touch them. You know, they're just. It sucks that the fans have to pay regular prices, but you're basically watching a scrimmage. And uh, Mark Stone, who's a very good player, um, big guy too, about 6'4", 220. He had the puck in the corner, and this guy in the Kings, Haley Hoshkin, who has no shot of making the Kings, uh, he's just a minor league guy. He runs Mark Stone through the boards. And they interviewed Mark Stone afterwards, Said, yeah, I mean, I wasn't that upset about it. I mean, that guy will be out of the league tomorrow, and I'm an all-star. And I said, Jesus, man, that hurt. Like, that's going back to, like, <laughs> saying about someone's comedy. Like, man, yeah. he, just, he yeah. just turned into a live roast battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, if, you, if any of you are watching and wanting to get into roast battle, and I can say one thing, the truth hurts. Yeah. And that's true, and that's true on the court too. Like exactly, on the court uh, in politics. Yeah, uh, you know, if I'm, I mean, of course, Trump is smart from the standpoint of he's not hitting the debates because he's up by fifty points. But yeah. like, 
at some point he's going to have to debate Biden. I, I'm assuming uh, if I'm Biden, I just go right after him. The, the sexual assault charges, the 94 felonies. Like, yeah. What can Trump say? Like, hey, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That, yeah. I, yeah. That's me. I'm a pig. <laughs> uh, so, Rafi, this has been great. Uh, what? Where can people find you in the social media stratosphere? Oh, I mean, I'm pretty bad at the social stuff, but I'm on I'm on uh, Instagram, uh, Cohanimal, and uh, Twitter, uh, Rafi underscore Cohan. But yeah, I can use some followers. Help me out. <laughs> but but even more importantly, buy the book. <laughs> yeah, buy the book. I mean, how much is the book? Twenty bucks, something. Oh no, it, it, you should start higher, so I can say uh, you say, say say. 40 no oh no not even not even 40 bucks it's only 30 30 i think if you get it from an indie store that's the price of the back but i mean obviously amazon they always have discounts it's probably like 25 or 26 bucks or something like that but cheaper with an audiobook or kindle or whatever and can you get an autographed copy i mean do you do that yet or yeah well, there, if you order, if you're interested in autographed co copy, um, you can order. There's a local store here in Atlanta called Acapella Books. You can order through them, um, you know, and and I'll sign the book before they ship it out. And you can even you can even include an inscription if you want me to, you know, to say something particularly insulting to you or to your friend or to your parents or children. Uh, you know, just include that in the comments, and we can uh, we we can insult you in the, on the signature page. I think you just open up a whole can of worms with that. Uh, <laughs> but Robbie, very nice to finally. Sorry this interview took so long. Either I was sick or my toilets were exploding. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I apologize. Un unre unrelated, the sickness in the toilets. Uh, that, yes, I. That, it's, it's long, uh, normally, when I'm sick, the toilets do explode. I mean, the toilet to my right looks like a Picasso painting right now. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Oh, come to the comedy store anytime you're in LA and uh yeah I hopefully hopefully I mean I'd love to do an event some events out in LA and hopefully we'll talk to you know talk to some folks try to make that happen definitely we'll keep you all posted on that yeah we'll get Moses who could be a VIP judge and uh yeah you know who I'm banned from the room right now but uh, maybe I can get unbanned uh what a great business this is <laughs> uh, but well, let's end on a positive note let's book uh, if you want to listen to my negativity, uh, Earl Skakel everywhere. I'm like the ultimate warrior. You know, everyone said that guy was fucking nuts. And then he died and you started watching his interviews and you're like, you know, he was right on pretty much everything he said. So <laughs> Robbie, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Cheers, man. Thanks.